Welcome to the VMware Multi-Cloud Podcast, a podcast that covers topics for cloud architects. My name is Eric Nielsen, and with me today I have my co-host David Jasso. David, how are you doing today? Doing well, Eric. Uh, me too, me too. We're coming into fall. It's getting chillier. We're supposed to get some rainstorms in California, so I'm really excited. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about continuous verification. Uh, in the studio, we have Bill Shetty, Director of Developer Advocacy, and Dan Ellison, Cloud Developer Advocate. Bill, How's it going today? Going great. Thanks for having us over here. Yeah, Dan as well. Welcome to the show. Always good to have you guys in in studio. You drove up from the city, from San Francisco, to be here, so we appreciate it. Thank you. So let's uh, first start and talk just a little bit about what you guys are doing, your team, uh, what's your what's your objectives here at VMware these days, so that we can get into the topic. But we always like to learn about uh, people's orgs and what they're working on. No, sure. Um, We've been around for a couple of years here, and uh, the team's really focused on helping uh, cloud architects and you know uh, cloud operations people really understand VMware's value in the public cloud. We've added a significant amount of capabilities like Cloud Health, we have Secure State, Wavefront, and CAS, and they're all pointing not just to vSphere, obviously, but really to public cloud and helping VMware gain sort of that credibility in, in, with the customers and understanding how to operate. So my team is focused on providing solutions and talking about some of those problem sets and um, raising awareness around them. So, hey, Bill and Dan, you guys, how long have you been with VMware? And sort of tell us a little bit about your background so the audience knows who you are. Um, sure. So I, I've been around uh, VMware for about four years. Originally, it was part of the uh, one of the CTO teams uh, under Guido Apenzeller. Um, and previous lives, product management, sales, uh, a couple of startups, right? But uh, kind of was brought here to help start our cloud services um, uh, portfolio, right, from the ground up. And so it's been an interesting journey over the last three years. Cool. Dan? Uh, I am about six and a half years in at this point. So uh, I got to VMware originally in the, uh, the days after Nicira Networks was acquired, kind of at the beginning of and before the NSBU was put together. So I was one of the the first handful of systems engineers over there, did that for three or four years, and then uh, I met up with Bill while he was working for Guido a few years back. So you guys have really seen the transition for VMware into the services market space as well as the multi-cloud space, right? Like, I think when we started, did we even have any relationships with any of the big-tier cloud vendors? No, we, we didn't. I mean, it, it was... We had next to nothing three and a half years ago. I mean, it's been an amazing journey, right? <clears throat> At the end of the day, we started with no services, not even VMC, right? And here we are, right? We've got multiple relationships with multiple clouds, uh, with vSphere on, on, on Amazon, Azure, Google, and also all these new SaaS-based services, and we've transformed our um, process internally. Now, we are actually selling SaaS-based services, which is like, wow, that's an amazing the other thing that I see that's interesting about <clears throat> you guys' career here is you're tracking what our what our, our cloud architects are with not cloud architects, but our practitioners who are becoming cloud architects are actually facing, which is this notion that it used to be just install VMware's product in the data center, run it, and it was great, to now the complexities of actually building multi-cloud environments where you're selecting, you know, best of breed SaaS services and needing to make them work in a multi-cloud environment. So I don't, I don't think this is an accident. Like Bill and I both come out of a networking background. We were not cloud or systems people really before, or at least I wasn't. So, you know, the networking world has always been this sort of house of cards that was built on all these open and standard interfaces that had to work together or the whole thing came apart and nobody could talk to each other, right? So 
I, I don't think it's it's all that odd, but it is right. like it is an evolution, and it is something that you know, if you had asked me five years ago what I was going to be doing. I would not have guessed this. It's actually, you, get, you make a really good point, which is architecting a complicated network is the same challenge that you have. And in fact, that's really the only difference between a cloud service you know, at Azure and a cloud service AWS is that you have to tie them together and you have to build an architecture yeah. to make it all work. Right? Yeah. I think the difference here is a little bit more nuanced in that <clears throat> uh, majority of the IT personnel that we've been talking to and we've seen the change, right? A significant number of them were used to doing what? Going onto the CLI, and they're still doing this and kind of managing network compute and storage. But when we get into multi-cloud, semantics have changed. Multitude different semantics around network, around, you know, services. And what's happening, and we'll talk about this with continuous verification, is that they're really managing guardrails. You know, their job has actually changed. Their skill sets are changing. They have to start understanding what they need to do to get their job done now in this environment. So it's, it's an evolution that we're seeing, right? Yeah, and uh, so so good to, good to have you guys on board at VMware as always. Um, so let's transition to CI/CD, continuous integration, continuous developer development or develop develop delivery delivery delivery. delivery. <laughs> I was like, it's not developer; it's continuous developer. Um, so continuous integration, continuous de delivery. Uh, why don't you take us through this, Dan? What does it what does it really mean? You know, continuous terms are popular now. I'm sure there'll be a continuous developer in about a week and a half. Somebody's <laughs> writing the. Book I'm, I'm right. always ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're 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 out front. So, you know, CI/CD. These these processes really grew up around um, application development, and so they are essentially practices for. How do I get my code um, developed, tested, integrated together, you know, the different components of, of an application uh, more quickly and more reliably? And then how do I get that pushed out and delivered or deployed to wherever its final um, platform is that it's going to sit on and actually run and execute? Um, these are built up uh, generally around like a pipeline methodology. So you've got stages that are divided sure. into jobs. They generally run sequentially kind of in order. And at the end, you get some output thing that lives somewhere and presumably does something useful. Um, you know, pretty typical examples are, yeah, that straight linear execution, kind of sequential order. And really what it what they kind of grew up as, I think for most people, is they grew up as kind of a an automated way to carry out a sequence of tasks that used to be manual. So a lot of people just took their script or their, um, you know, operating procedure that they had, and they just sort of piece by piece, job by job, wrote it into these pipelines so it could be executed automatically instead of, you know. And everybody listening to this probably knows this, you know, yeah. well. Yeah. This is a way of speeding up the development process, get the code out faster, those kinds of things. Yeah, just an enablement piece. Uh, what's become interesting, I think, as we've gone on and what we kind of latched on to was because this has become kind of a standard way to get code out there and it's... Um, has so many good hooks and interfaces into most of the tools people are using today. Um, it became a very flat, stable interface for us to go look at in terms of, okay, how do we how do we link together a variety of tasks that don't really have any other common ground? How do we um, kind of implement a, a feedback or a control loop into this process and and look at doing something other than straight line, you know, execute job one two three four five to the end um, sort of methodology? And so. You know, it became a really nice platform for us to kind of build some other, um, you know, build some other tasks into. 
And this has all been made easier, I think, too. You guys have seen this, right, with, with so many people moving to the public cloud and all the APIs published and tying into that and taking advantage of that really sort of makes it easier to extend what CICD started out. Does that make sense to what you guys are seeing? No, totally. I mean, if you look at all the, the different ecosystem tools out there from GitLab, right, and even GitHub's part of that process and Jenkins, uh, they all have really easy-to-use interfaces back into the cloud to instantiate infrastructure, <clears throat> but more so really to kind of just get your application out in a much easier way with a lot of ecosystem integration, right? So, yeah, it, 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 CDs become, as is Dan saying, I mean, it, it's the interface, but it's really the main control point now. Right, CICD is the main control point for managing multi-cloud environments. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then you guys have been extending the concept, right? A sort of continuous verification, sort of doing, sort of taking that basic framework mm -hmm. of you know automating everything, but adding more logic to it and bringing more into that picture, right? I think that's sort of where you guys are headed. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the the best way we can I can describe is give a little history. When we first started looking at multi-cloud here, right, and started down this journey, we talked to almost 300 or 400 customers, and we saw that change over to cloud ops. One thing we noticed in the higher-end customers, the ones that are like tens of thousands of, of instances in, <clears throat> was that they ran what we would call uh, chaos theory of operations. And what that really meant was every single organization kind of did whatever they needed to from a tooling perspective. And the operations people just control those guardrails. And the way they did this was to enable specific checks to be done during the processes in those individual lines of businesses, which meant that the CICD became that control point. And we started to think about, okay, how do we improve this or how do we kind of bring this out? But one of the notions that's out there right now is this notion of shift left, right? And shift left talks about the the CI portion where a lot of testers really have to do a significant amount of those checks. And that's where a lot of those other companies were. But what they weren't doing was taking the day two based operational components like cost or <clears throat> environment security or some of the performance and adding that in. And so we all saw whole and we decided to say, look, you want to really shift left. If CICD is your control point, what you want to do is to add more checks in this to ensure that you're not going to have problems later from a remediation mm -hmm. action. And, and that simply meant taking some of those checks, adding it as Python scripts or Docker containers or whatever it is, but then that gave the operations people a, a, a level of control in the sense that all they needed to do is to push out a policy which a container or a script would pick up and then tell the line of business, go implement this as part of the CI/CD pipeline. It could be in GitLab, could be in Jenkins, doesn't matter. But it's sort of like pushing that out and that shift left um, sort of is, is kind of caught on, right? And bottom line is that as, as customers have looked at this and we've kind of gone out there, it, 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 there's no right or wrong answer, right? It is an ability for them to effectively uh, modify their operations and make it more efficient. But what it boils down to is, hey, Mr. DevOps guy, I'm going to reduce your time or mean time to happy hour. You're not going to be spending time now remediating, action, remediating actions post-deployment with those day two operational tools. You can do some checks and potentially prevent some of those issues from occurring, right, and save some time, right? And it becomes a lot more efficient from this perspective. It sounds like um, this is something that SR, SREs benefit from greatly, too, because a lot of often they're looking at sort of those day two environments, keeping them up and running. And so they, I assume they benefit from it up. Yeah, they, they do. And so it, they it, get to go happy hour earlier too. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think they're. I think the cloud architects, the DevOps, everybody's part of this whole kind of process. They're all working together, right? Security also to come up with what is that SLA that I want to add into my my CD portion, 
uh, of the CI/CD pipeline, and how do I implement it? And then you're constantly looking at at that and changing it because there's changes in features uh, that are occurring in Amazon, Azure, or Google, right? There's changes in technologies that you're using. So you're constantly revisiting this, right, on a regular basis, and you're constantly making changes. That's why the continuous nature of this occurs. And yeah, it, it was interesting when, when when I was reading one of the blog articles. There's a couple of blog articles out on this. Um, they talked about how many uh, institutions and guys doing code have actually implemented uh, that second phase, and it was really low. Like it reminded me of like I built my house and I I almost I got I got things into production. I finished my house, but I never finished the trim. Right where you you get something in production and everybody focuses on that main goal of getting things in production, and you you know the DevOps people make it happen but nobody actually you know focuses on that that follow-up of how is it running uh, what, what kind of test feedback can we have built in and even the test engineers I think fall into this this notion of, of what do I have to do to ensure that day two operations stays you know stays up and running seamlessly yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. that's a great analogy yeah yeah you guys published something on this I think it's sort of what was originally caught my eye and you know, I know Eric's read it too, but uh, you guys did an article, I think, on continuous uh, verification that you published. Uh, what was I think New Stack or what was it? Yeah, um, Dan and I published an article on on New Stack sometime in the May June timeframe, right, to kind of get the concept out originally, um, and that sort of gave like a baseline of what the concept is, what we just talked about. And then what we've done is we've actually followed up with a pretty detailed set of demos and discussions around how to actually implement it, right, around lots of different components, right? Um, and you can find the detail articles uh, that we've done on uh, cloudjourney.io, which is our website <clears throat> or kind of our personal blog site where we kind of put some of those ideas out there. Uh, and then from there, you can have links to uh, some of our GitHub locations where some of the code is. So we, we've actually implemented this on GitLab right, as an example, uh, and they're a great partner of ours, and then also with CloudBees, right, and, and Jenkins, some of them two are more popular tools. Um, so yeah, we, we've actually gone from introduction to actually full, here's how you can potentially implement it from a solutions perspective. What, what caught my eye was, um, you know, as, as I've gone some of the, some of the material on Cloud Journey.io and also the uh, New Stack article was that you've actually focused on how this relates to various domains, right? So it's like, you know, there's like, you know, a lot of those day two operational domains, whether that be cost optimization or security and those kinds of things. And I know you guys have sort of like looked at each one of those things and said, you know, here's an example of, you know, how you start to apply the concepts yeah. of continuous verification. Maybe you could talk about some of those domains and you know, give some depth to that. Sure. And, and it's by no means an exhaustive list, right? I mean, there are different people from different organizations will have uh, different things that they care about that they'll want to implement. But so we kind of broke it up this way. We looked at uh, essentially a staging environment and a production environment, right? And so we said, okay, so you have your new application. First, you deploy it to staging. You characterize it. You look at it. You kind of see what you're getting. You see if it makes sense. And if it makes sense and passes your readiness checklist, then you can go on to production, right? So there's two deployment stages in there, one for each environment. Um, before the deploy to staging, there's a few things that happen. Um, we, uh, it's a container-based application, so we scan all our containers for known security vulnerabilities. Okay, Makes sense. Before I deploy anything, let's make sure it's not compromised from the beginning. Um, and then the other thing we do is we look at um, some general uh, environment parameters. So we, we look at our budget. We basically look at our 
team's budget, which is a made up number for this purpose for the for the month, and we basically say, hey, where are we relative to our budget? If we're at or over, don't deploy anything because we don't want to deploy more infrastructure that's going to cost us money if we're already capped out. If we're not, go ahead, proceed on to the next phase, and then uh, you know, and then we'll see what happens from there, right? So. Um, that's one piece of it. And then the other piece that we look at kind of pre-staging is um, the security of the environment. So um, in, in the example that we did that's up on, on Cloud Journey, uh, we have um, VMware Secure State looking at our AWS environment and basically saying, hey, you know, uh, are these instances configured correctly? Are weird ports open to the internet that shouldn't be? You know, or do we have encryption on our databases? Like these kind of basic um, good hygiene steps just to make sure that our environment's in, in good, reasonable standing so that we can deploy our code and uh, connect our, you know, databases that have all our customer or user data or everything else hooked up to it so that we're not putting ourselves in a bad situation. And if those two, uh, if those two criteria are met, then we move on. We actually deploy the application to the staging uh, environment, which is a Kubernetes cluster sitting in Amazon today. Um, and once that gets deployed, then we move into kind of our, our second set of tests, which are designed to say, okay, is this thing now ready for production? So the production readiness stuff uh, really looks at application performance. Mm -hmm. So for us, that's um, Wavefront uh, doing a characterization against the application, and we run a little traffic generator in Python that um, essentially throws a bunch of requests at the application application real quick so that we can get some basic um, stats back and look at how long things are taking and things like that. Uh, and then our check is looking at um, essentially CPU utilization uh, on the cluster to make sure we're within acceptable range. If we are, we deploy it out to our production cluster and uh, our pipeline wraps up from there. Are you guys doing any work in each of these areas where... Um you know, assuming it doesn't pass a test that there's some sort of forked logic or something that sort of says, hey, if it's this kind of failure, then do this, or if it's this kind, then do that, because that's, that's a big deal. And, you know, one of the challenges with, you know, CICD is actually adding logic that sort of allows you to continue and right. have sort of preset uh, remediations. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's easily addable. I mean, if you take a look at our pipeline, if you guys go onto the site and actually take a look at it, it's, it's just a YAML file, right? And each stage, there is a uh, conditional check, right? So let's take cloud health check, which is the governance check that Dan just talked about from a cost perspective, right? We'll go and check, and what we do is we inject a policy based on a JSON file that says, here's my baseline and here's my stretch. Uh, if we're somewhere between that, just make a note, but if we ever exceed this, then stop the pipeline immediately. And there's a conditional if-then-else sort of check inside of the actual stage uh, when it deploys, because it goes and does a Python script, which calls an API into Cloud Health, gets a report, does some analysis, and then comes out with an output. Am I over or not? Mm -hmm. I'm over. Then the option is, what we do is just stop. But then if you wanted to, it's really simple in, in, um, in, you know, in, in any of the CICD pipelines, but what we use is GitLab, we, we actually you can add in a whole other stage to go do something uh, or make a call out, right, to... Jira or something else to go mm -hmm. and create some kind of remediation uh, action, right? Um, I think it depends on the tool that you use. Some of them have much more detailed ones than others, but ideally what you would want is, hey, at that point, if you think about this from the cloud ops person, he wants that DevOps team to come back to them and say, I need more capacity, right? So mm -hmm. we just put that if then else statement, 
but then what you do is part of your process, right? You probably want to have a call made and a verification and somebody turns up more capacity and they can rerun that entire pipeline all over again. Mm -hmm. And right? you can automate all of that, right? You can Absolutely. build that in terms of, you know, totally. these are the conditions it might fall into and then yep. depending on those conditions, these are the different responses, yep. including, like you said, even having additional pipelines run on them yep. um, that continue or, or, the process. Yeah, different stages, yeah. And, yeah. and it's all, I mean, it's a baseline, right, what we've created that you can build on. So... Um, before I, I have, a, I have a question here, which is sure. we, we had continuous verification, but there's also a piece here that we're dancing around, which is cloud verification, right? And verification in general is just a topic of, you know, we've had this since make files and I make files and so forth. How has verification changed as we've gone into the multi-cloud journey, right? Are there tools and are there best practices for verification that are people are, that are using? And I know that we're talking about it, but are there is there an industry for verification as has and has the verification actually started to do multi-cloud as well? Oh boy! <laughs> All right, so you want to take a crack, and I'll take. Yeah. So, because we we live in a world right now where at least in the U.S. right there's kind of three dominant cloud providers right, right. if we look at Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. Um, those things under the covers fundamentally they look relatively similar you know they've right. all got a way to get a vm a way to get a storage bucket all these things right, right. but um they do function a bit differently and so i think there is a market uh for verification certainly but for kind of homogenizing that to the to the biggest degree possible so if you if you look kind of down the rabbit hole of like what makes what kind of locks people to an environment inherently right it's not the VM presentation or some of these things, it's actually some of the attached services. So it's, um, it's RDS, you know, it's the database as a service presentation. It's the particular storage semantics. It's the fact that you're sending all of your logs to CloudTrail or to StackDriver in Google, right? It's, it's these little attachment points for these external services that actually become the thing that kind of, um, keep, people I yeah think, yeah but th that you need for your app to yeah, run and then if you're verifying sticky. you're going to be in that sticky exactly sticky space they're very sticky operational right. pieces which right. means to change them is a is a very high friction right. event so i i think there is right. certainly a need for for verifying the environment you're in but also right. for okay um, so you answered my question you things. answered my question which is there probably isn't a generic um cloud verification uh, implementation but when you when you start talking about verification then whatever tools you are using to verify then building in that automation to have it continuous is mm -hmm. is really what you guys are trying to tackle here yeah i think i think we have to understand that you know if you look at the old world versus the new world right we come from a a perspective here of vmware right and you know in in the data center world where you can have a singular tool that kind of does a whole bunch of things. The problem now is that every, if you get into that multi-cloud world, as Dan was saying, you're going to attach these different services, but your processes are actually going to be different from customer to customer. And it's less about, I'm going to change my process to attach to the tool versus the tool better attached to my process. And my process is going to be different. Now there's, there's some similarities between these, but nobody's ever created one. We don't think at least not in the short term, two years, that anything like this is going to happen. And hence, it's going to be a customization on a per-customer-per-customer -customer basis. And that's how we wrote this was use it as a framework. Use it as a thought process of how to do it yourself, and here's how you build it, right? You gave us the the um, the, the first uh, 
the first te- set of tests you do pre-production. Mm-hmm. Then when you're getting ready for production, the second, you have the Wavefront example of that. Uh, is there anybody out there that's actually doing this right now? Like, have you seen any customers that have started to tackle, you know, con- uh, continuous verification? Uh, I mean, I got to imagine that, you know, the Netflixes of the world who are fairly mature are sure. doing <laughs> doing some of this already, right? But then the rest of us that are moving right. into the cloud world are probably not there yet. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I think if you take the hyperscalers and the guys like Netflix out of the question, I mean, they've got like, what, two people that run an entire data center, right? Okay, everything's fully automated. So, you know, now get to the masses. <laughs> right. And, yeah, yeah. and you know, we've talked to, I'm not going to name the customers here, but there's significant large customers here that are using even multi numbers of VMs and, and, and containers in the cloud. And, and when we given this talk to them and kind of this framework, oh, we never thought of that, right? It's right. just, it should be obvious, but it's not there yet. So they are doing the verification from like image verification and the, the, the CI portions where the testers are actually adding more tests and baking it from a functional perspective and right. that's all there. But the shift of day two into the CD portion, it's like, wow, oh, that's an interesting idea. Wait, we should go do this. Right. Now, how many people are actually doing performance, you know, runs every time they do, you know, new app? I mean, the part of the idea and like why this kind of came together for us was you know we look at a lot of these folks and they're doing they have a pipeline that's pushing stuff out right but then their performance tests are all manually executed by a team after the fact right so it's how do we move that thing from after the fact into the into the pipeline so but it is a like it is a spectrum right so i think you look at cicd use in general and every time there's a survey on it it's way lower the actual rate of CICD usage is considerably lower than everyone right. thinks it is right it's it's been yeah. like true for five years now i think it'll be true another 10 um so that's just part of the deal yeah. um but you know i think the thing is this was always designed and thought of as a as a process of refinement where like ci and cd they both spit something out at the end they spit out a thing you know in in CI, it's a it's an image or a, a container or something that you can go deploy. In CD, it's the actual deployment out in the world right. somewhere. Um, this was always intended and designed to be a, a thing that helps refine your deployment um, as it moves through the pipeline so that it gets closer and closer to what you intended and wanted all along. Um, so I think as people's pipeline practices get better and mature over time, the amount of verification steps they'll want to do and the amount of refinement will get finer and finer till we get down to that, you know, almost crystalline perfect deployment at the end that doesn't need anything done to it. It's it's ready to go as it is. Yeah, I mean, this this makes sense, I think, when you consider CI, CD, because it's always about bringing more into that process, right? Automating more and starting to look at day two makes total sense, given also given, um, you know, how everybody's moving to an API first yeah. basis in their tooling. Right. Um, you guys, you know, it's kind of hard, I think, for people just listening to a podcast to sort of envision some of this, but maybe you could talk about, you guys, have, I know you guys have a great demonstration tool. I think Acme Fitness, and it's available to folks uh, via the the blog, but yep. maybe you can talk about what you guys have built there and then how it works. And, and again, I think if also you can give a little more color as to what it takes to integrate some of those product offerings like Cloud Health or Wavefront, but you're also working with third-party tools too. That would be that'd be great for the audience. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, Acme Fitness Shop. Um, it's an app our team wrote, and it's a 
it's essentially an e-commerce app, and it's written as a as a series of Docker containers deployed to Kubernetes, right? So we we tried to go as modern with it as we could to sort of highlight some of the modern practices, and so it's it's broken up into six or seven microservices at this point. There's a there's a front end that basically serves out all the web pages and kind of acts as your point of entry. Um, there is a catalog service which holds all the items you can buy. Um, there is a cart service where you can put items as you uh, want to hold on to them to eventually purchase. Um, there's an order. There's an order and a payment service. So you know you put stuff in the cart. Order takes the cart and processes it through, sends it to payment, which right now is sort of a uh, essentially just a dummy check mm-hmm. that just kind of looks and returns you back a transaction ID. Obviously, it's not actually taking people's credit cards. Yeah, don't put your credit um, card in if you use it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then there's um, there's a user service as well, which is your your login, you know, login service to essentially log you in against an identity. I miss any? I think I got them all. Um, yeah, I think it. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And we're adding a shipping module too, right? So. I think what mm-hmm. some of the things to remember about this app is that we use it for context and we've written it with all these services, but each one of the services also has its own database component. So we have smattered in there, like let's say the user service, right, uses Mongo. The car service uses Redis. The order service uses Postgres, right? And so those are also deployed as containers, right? Well, just to provide an example, and then when we deploy this, we may swap those out for, let's say, a cloud service like Azure Postgres, mm-hmm. right, or something to that effect. This gives us variance. And so anybody who wants to use it can do it. Plus, it's all polyglot. So, you know, Python bits, like I did the Python bits. Shree and our team did some of the Go and Dan did some of the Node.js ones. So every single service is sort of in a different language even, right? right. So you're, you're doing a broad illustration for folks that what no matter what real, they're using, yeah. they can get a sense of how it works. Right. And it's an example that we wanted to make it as realistic as possible so that we could use it in showcasing things like contributor verification or other pieces. And it, it's open. I mean, you guys should... Go to the you know go to the and you guys and find have it. already I think done the continuous verification with some of these pieces like cloud health right I think and yeah. some others yeah maybe talk just talk about what does it take to hook those things up into sure. this process so, so we built that on um, we built the pipeline that showcases all this on GitLab so it's built on the on the SaaS version of GitLab they've been a, a great partner of ours through this process um, and then yeah so for example like we deploy this application and then coming through. Um, there's a stage that, um, for example, the budget stage that checks against cloud health. So, you know, Bill wrote a Python script that it takes, I don't know, a couple of two inputs or something. It takes basically um, an account identifier that gives you the API key for your account, and it looks at uh, a particular report. And based on the re- you know based on the return value of that report, it basically writes over or under to an environment variable inside the pipeline, right? So we have these kind of logic switches mm-hmm. that we've done with environment variables inside the pipeline to trigger success or failure. Um, so all of that is, I mean, all of that is there. Um, these pipelines, uh, most of these pipelining tools, they have the ability to now um, execute a script in multiple languages or an API call natively as a built-in stage. Right. Um, so you don't have to do a lot of work beyond figuring out what the logic is and writing it down. And if you've written it down once or coded it once, um, like that, uh, budget check stage was used for a, a separate standalone blog article a while ago. And then we just pulled it forward into the pipeline and just wrapped it and make sure there was a good, you know, environment variable name that we yeah. understood for it to land on so that we could reference it as we moved forward. 
Um, and the the uh, wavefront one for performance is implemented similarly. The secure state one is implemented similarly. Um, the, I think the only thing that was new that really required a little bit of work was figuring out um, the deployment semantics for GitLab so that I could get our two our staging and production Kubernetes clusters linked up to the pipeline so everything would deploy appropriately and correctly and show up, you know, named as we wanted it to and everything all the way through. Um, that took a little bit of new work and that's going to be, I think whatever tool you use, there's going to be a little bit of, of semantics to deal with specific to that tool. But, you know, it took me, I don't know, a few hours one day and then it was, it was done. So it's, you know, it's not particularly difficult. It just requires a little yeah, assembly. Yeah, so minimal work to customize it for a different set of tools. You guys using a, any pipeline orchestrator of any type? You guys, it's part of that process? Uh, sort of. Well, when we did it with GitLab, I think it was uh, it was straight out API calls. I think the thing to remember is any of those checks, whether I wrote it in Python or some of the other team members also wrote it in like Go or Python, you can execute it straight. And what you're really doing there is is just the nuance here is that we're just calling an API mm -hmm. into Cloud Health with yeah. security tokens that you load up as environment variables, right? And you you can encapsulate this not as just straight Python, right? But you can encapsulate that into a Docker container, which effectively will take those input variables that Dan was saying, and those input variables can constantly be changed because they're just environment variables that you're pushing in. So if you think about it from a cloud ops perspective, again, right, I can create this Python script to do a validation by calling an API, write some logic, which we did on cloud health. Same thing on uh, VMware Secure State. Has an API, wrote some logic to check, hey, is the EKS cluster, as an example, um, uh, you know, we set it up before, is it still secure? So we, we added something mm -hmm. in there, like, you know, we open up port 22, and that's, you know, triggers an, an, an event. It says, oh, this is not secure. Why did you have port 22? Nobody would do that, but it was an example, right? Or, <clears throat> you know, it, it would give us other things. And those are, those are just implemented with an API call, a secure state, again, with variables. But the way we did that one versus the cloud health one was we actually did that in a Docker container. And then we had GitLab actually execute the container, right, on our runner, right? And so there's different ways of actually executing this. But it all boils down to understanding, uh, A, what your um, uh, logic is going to be, right, what your SLA is, right, um, what you want to check for, using the API and understanding the output of that, right, and then creating the logic around that. And so any tool that at least VMware has, has released now, any of the three that we talked about, using API, like if I wanted to add an authorization check, I can. We didn't do this, but we could add an authorization check before we do the deployment to the staging cluster to say, hey, does that Acme Fitness Shop actually have access to go and <clears throat> utilize um, RDS, right? Mm -hmm. And the authorization check can come back by using an Amazon API to say, is this valid for this group? Yep. And then I would say, stop, no, you better go ask somebody for um, authorization. There's mm -hmm. lots of things you can add in there, but it really boils down to an API call, right? So there's there's some things that are um, like um, po a pre-deployment, right? So like checking to see if yep. you have authorization, but there's a whole lot of day two op you know operations too. And how would you sort of suggest people go about looking at sort of what are candidates for continuous verification? Yeah, things that you might want to pull into the pipeline, basically. So I think... Any task that – so anything that you do uniformly across a, a number of applications is a good candidate because you can reuse that logic over and over in, in multiple different pipelines. 
Um, that's usually an obvious one. Or anything that, any task that happens after something is deployed and, and requires like a handoff from one team to another. Because you you look at those those kind of tasks, right? That's your that's your dead time. Mm-hmm. That's your no value time because your your app is deployed, but it's not yet ready for whom whomever's supposed to consume it to actually use it, right? So therein is your is your dead time where this thing is alive and theoretically costing you money and resources, but it's not producing anything for you, mm-hmm. right? So as in in my eyes, like as much as I can eliminate or minimize that, I think it's it's a net. A net win for the org right so those are the ones i would look at off the bat yeah i mean we did four right or we did three but there's more right again a cost security verification and there's multitudes of security verification you can do right mm-hmm. performance check which is you know as we were talking about it is this it, people do do it right but we did it in a specific location where we thought it was interesting yeah authorization we didn't do you can add that in right um and then you know the sky's the limit Right as to what you pick, you may have a tool internally that goes and checks uh, predictability, right, of whether or not um, that deployment is actually properly utilizing certain components, right. Um, and, and there, there's so many different ways to add it, right. And I think it's really up to you know, as, as Dan was saying, it's you're going to pick what you want, right. We pick four that obviously relate to VMware-based mm-hmm. services, but also uh, you know make a lot of sense, right inside yep. of that pipeline and stuff we see people doing all the time exactly. in day two operations or we, we would like them to do yeah <laughs> so when we say people and we who is the we that would be doing this because you know we could go out to the developers and you know push this out to the developers I'm, i i go back to my uh my pearl days right where i'm automating i'm automating way back right you know like when i'm pushing into production so the question is who is the we that would be doing this uh, sure yeah sure so so the okay, so there's there's two groups here, actually three groups potentially, right? But the two main groups are who controls the cloud from an operational standpoint, and what that means is I'm looking at the security of it, the implementation of the environments, right? The ability to check whether or not it's being utilized correctly, um, security, costs, etc. And that's usually a generally like um, a central organization now, separate from on-prem data center actually, right? So they're going to set what we would call a policy. I hate to use that word, but I'll say a set of guardrails, right? Mm-hmm. About what they would like to ensure are a set of checks. They're going to basically implement this, as I talked about with Python or Docker, put those in Git, and then tell each one of the line of businesses where the DevOps guys are located, mm-hmm. make sure you add this Python script, this Docker container that has the checks that I have built. You don't have access to it, but you're going to download that and add it to these par- this part of the pipeline on a regular basis. So then the DevOps people would implement those checks that have been written and configured by the cloud ops people. And they definitely will talk about variations and put that together. The third kind of organization that comes into is security, right? And they would have input as to, okay, what do we really want to check? Uh, you can get business ops people even at that point. But generally, the cloud ops and the, the DevOps people. And so the guys are yeah working. working so the cloud ops build it. The DevOps people implement it in you know what they're what they're deploying. what they're doing. And yeah. they and the cloud people essentially say this is where you're going to implement it, so that they have a. Um, it's not an explicit, but it's sort of like this you know uh, inline check that the DevOps people really don't have to worry about it, touch it, modify it. They just run it. It's part of it. 
Yeah, so the the way you've architected it's not it intrusive. Is, yeah, you can you can drop these into any existing pipeline processes. Sure. And, and just by passing the parameters that are associated yep. with the application and the environments, yep. you're going to get the checks run. Yeah, and then the the cloud ops people can, as long with the locations of, of let's say the Python or Docker containers, if you're in a, they can also have files that are in Git that they can access, and they can just change the parameters anytime they need to. Cool. And as long as it's implemented inside from the DevOps person, they're going to see. They won't know the variance has occurred, but they'll get an alert saying yeah. they're in or out of compliance at that point. Nice. Cool. Fences and gates. Another <laughs> neat blog article that you guys wrote, right? And and it's kind of a perspective when we talk about guardrails or ways to ways yep. to look at things you have to worry about. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about fences and gates and what what is that issue and and why did you guys write that article? Yeah. So that was uh, that article was the precursor to a bunch of the continuous verification, like what led to continuous verification for us, right? So basically it was us going out to customers and seeing this pattern of, um, you know, organizations setting these hard boundaries around environments and essentially saying, hey, what goes on inside this environment, as long as you can keep it within the four walls, right? We don't, we're not going to have too much to say about it, but we're going to tell you very clearly and explicitly, here are the boundaries, don't go outside of them. You know, if you start to knock up against them, you're going to get a notification and somebody from security or some other department's going to come down and have a chat with you. But if you can keep it in the box, you're good. So, Dan, can I ask a question on that? So mm -hmm. when you say boundaries, it would be like things like you can use this environment, but not these environments. You can use these services, but not those services, yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah, your your budget for the month is X, okay, you know, yeah, like, one. like any of these kind of things. Like you can access, you know, uh, you can access our internal um, company marketing data, but you can't access Eric's personal home address and, you know. Yeah, or you can like, you can access this data, but it can never leave the data center or it can never leave this sure. cloud or sure. this yeah. geo or something like that. As you like want that. to slice it even more finely, absolutely. Um, whereas, you know, we, and we noted it because it was a contrast to how people tended to operate data centers. I think data centers, because they were fundamentally sort of in the organization and in the family right. from soup to nuts, people uh, like organizations and groups had a tendency to want to turn all the knobs and get very fine grained about how they controlled each individual step and each individual piece yeah. of the process. Well, as you get out to the cloud and to environments where you have partial control rather than full control, if you take that approach, especially at the rate that an Amazon or a Microsoft right. or a They're Google pushes things. out yep. new yep. services yep. and new yep. features, you never catch it. You're you're always behind, right? The, yeah, you can't get, catch their pace. And the and the kind of controls you had in the data center are often antithetical to what people are trying to do in the cloud, right? Which yeah. is move fast, right? So it's like if you have the level of controls you had in the data center, you're sort of defeating those that purpose. Well, I, I would say that yes, no. I mean. This is a mechanism is to really get that control, but in, in you know fences and gates is, is about you know putting those controls around. But another way to look at this is it is that it's really the process of actually understanding and defining what that guardrails are, right? So, you know, we talked about implementation, how to do this in CV, right? But it really starts with fences and gates, which is I need to understand what those fences and gates are. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have this as a combined conversation, as we talked about with cloud ops, DevOps, security. You're going to come together and say, here's my list, right? I'm going to make sure that you're not exceeding $5,000 worth on this project. Another project's got 10000 
or security means that, hey, I want to make sure that every single S3 bucket is encrypted and has no public access. So before you utilize this, let's make sure, right? And we're going to do that check. And I'm going to do it anytime because I know stuff changes. Somebody has access. I'm, I'm going to do all of these sort of things, and that sets up a policy. But those are the definitions. Mm -hmm. That definition is what is a joint business kind of combined effort. Cloud ops may come out with the baseline. DevOps may say that doesn't work. You have to go back and forth. And then that's your fences and gates. And then you have to implement that in CV, but you also have to define it someplace. Right? So, and it could be on paper, sneaker net, set of JSON files. Yeah. I mean, really, right? <laughs> I mean, it. yeah. And, and there's where the industry is kind of missing something right now, which yeah. is there is no way to effectively um, uh, you know, describe those guardrails in a uniform fashion. But maybe you don't need it, right? Yep. The qu then, so the, I think the fences concept is pretty clear. Gates are those, you know, where you have deviations or you need to open up the boundary or is it something else? It's kind of where you, so gates are more about where you move from one environment to another. So that, that to go back to the previous example, right, that move from the staging cluster to the production cluster, right? So as I move from like one environment to the other, I now have maybe an, an overlapping set, but there's a couple different okay, things I care sense. about in production, right? So, or I'm, I'm deploying this thing that I've had in the US, but now I'm deploying it in Europe. Okay, well, Europe's a different place with some different rules. So, you know, I need to add or consider a few um, guardrails, a few okay. policy pieces a little different. So that makes sense. Before. As you transition from one stage, if you will, to another, you may have some fences that are kind of go with it but some that don't mm -hmm. and some new fences sure. that come into place and some overlapping mm -hmm. fences okay that makes sense yeah you don't want to you don't want to strictly isolate them and like okay you know you don't want to go okay well i need to redeploy my app but i need to do it somewhere else so throw out everything i used to know and start over from scratch well no that's not super realistic and, right like we'd like to carry forward as much as we can so we don't reinvent them and wheels. as much as possible i think the other concept that runs through this is this idea that once you've by establishing fences, effectively you're establishing policy, and then the way you implement policy as much as possible is through automation, yep. and so that you're not having people do these kind mm -hmm. of establishing these boundaries, yep. right? Okay, cool. And the implementation of fences, I mean, I think the one thing to remember with all of this is that, I think we started with this, is that you're going to keep this in Git. It's the state store and information for a lot of this stuff, right? And that's something that I think we talk about in that article and other places, is that you know, it's part of that automation process. So it fits totally with CI/CD because it's going to be pulling that information because it has the hooks into your state store mm -hmm. where your policy is going to be. And you're going to modify that and you're going to have track of whoever changed it. Everything's there. Right? Okay, cool. Yeah. And you would pull it in the same way you do the kind of continuous exactly. verification pieces, yes, right? Exactly. These are things you then implement into your pipelines. Yep. Okay, so you establish the policy and then the, the checkpoints with we'll the verification, pull in. in day two ops and really wind up extending the core CI/CD processes that are in place. Yeah. And the way you're making decisions, right? I mean, if you have all this stuff stored with a historical record that you can go back and see how it's changed over time, and you have your enforcement being done by CI/CD by an automation process, right? Okay, now I can do real experiments that are interesting and get feedback, re you know, immediately or very soon, right? And so now, like... That's another, like, an organizational feedback loop that I can now close and, and start yep. to do a lot more interesting things about how do I think about um, my deployment lifecycle? How often should I be pushing code out? You know, how are my budgets actually 
any good or have they just made up numbers that somebody threw at a wall until they kind of stuck like now you can start it's, to really experiment like you're and really refine solving it some of these core people process issues too right where because you're really it seems like you can't really do this without good c- collaboration among teams right yeah you can't i mean i think <laughs> yeah. like i don't think we're going to solve that right i mean i think it's just a Part of the collaboration, it has to occur naturally, right? Yeah. There's a big hurdle of getting any DevOps guy to implement anything inside, right? So there is, this is not easy, yeah. right? I mean, we kind of talk about this today and like, oh, yeah, they've got to talk, right, between the two organizations. But that's a whole other process, which, well, okay, we're not going to touch that. But that's something for them to internalize and yeah. kind of work through. To be successful, they have to figure out <laughs> They've got to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Um, and then that, I think they're starting to realize that whenever we give this talk, we kind of talk about it. They realize they have to do it. And now we've seen that in some smaller companies and some of the bigger ones. Now they're actually talking, believe it or not. And it's yeah. actually resonating where, um, you know, one of the things that we're looking at doing is actually helping VMware create a professional services practice out of this. Yeah. Cool. As an you, example. You're getting to my next three bullets. I was so <laughs> proud of myself for coming up with where I think we should go here, which is I want to up-level it and go like, okay, so what is VMware's role here, right? Like we obviously we have products. Uh, we might have a practice. Uh, and then, you know, how how – how do, how do what is Heptios? How does Heptios play into that? Like, there's some pieces. So I'll start products first. So we obviously have products here, right? You've mentioned several of them: Cloud Health, Wavefront, Secure State, and we have Kubernetes, right? So um, is is this weaving together? Is this practice weaving together solutions that we want? customers to use or is it the practice itself that is actually what we consider a valid a, a valuable product for our customers a little bit of both right <clears throat> i think we um we so you know f- from seeing that shift over in the evolution right we had to figure out how to get some of those tools actually implemented into there because we knew some of them wanted to use it at some levels right um the one that we we also forget is bitnami right which is also there right and you take all these kind of Day two operations tools, including Bitnami, we have actually an ability to kind of build some sort of an integrated, let's say, if we wanted to go down this path, an integrated, uh, I'll use pipeline very loosely, right? Sure. But a way that if I wanted to go deploy a, a set of code from Bitnami into an endpoint that could be Heptio driven, right, or Tanzu driven, or, or even um, the straight cloud, right, from an EC2 set of EC2 con- uh, instances of VPC, right. I could in Bitnami if I wanted to add in a cloud health check, right, to double check baseline, you would just add that before you do deployment, make sure it doesn't go over this, it'll do some verifications and use APIs, it'll do security check, et cetera, et cetera. So we could effectively do that. But the problem really lies in the second part, right, which is everybody's different, Mm -hmm. right? So there's, we don't want to be presumptuous in saying, yeah, this is how you want to do it, right? Right. Uh, I think we'll find that pattern match as, like say, Bidami goes through uh, a lot of the partners, right? And Cloud Health has a significant number of customers, but as people start thinking of CV inside of CD, we'll get a pattern match as to what is right, what is potentially wrong, and maybe we'll come up with a light-based potential mechanism to do that sort of in an integrated fashion. But a lot of that's going to come out with um, that second piece you're talking about, which is really around uh, services and just you know automating and doing this and you know, VMware's PS is, is looking at this potentially and picking it up and making a practice out of it. So uh, we can help customers, right, on either side. So, right. so I mean, we know as, as VMware, we know a lot about how our existing customers operate things in their data center today. So I think there is there is a place for us on the services or advisory end to help customers that have been having a hard time 
figuring out how to move that app to the right. cloud or, right. or, you know, figuring out how to make that transition, there's a place for us to step in and right. help them and use some of this process and some of these right. tools as a bridge right. to help move them right. that way. Yeah, and many customers aren't necessarily even at the step of having a hard time. They're just actually coming to us saying, how do we do this? And yep. what yeah. tools do we need? Yeah. Because sure. you're a trusted partner with us. Yeah. We've been using your software, running our data center. We, you have hybrid cloud now. You have multi-cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you help us do this? Which is, a, which is a cool topic just to have a conversation about. But also then figure out, you know, how could we bring this to customers so that they don't have to just yep. learn this from yeah. scratch? Right? Yeah, this reminds me almost, I was sitting here thinking about sort of, reminds me of what we used to do with SDKs, right? You deliver a piece of software and deliver an SDK and say, hey, this is how you integrate it. But now the integration point, as you said, is in the CICD processes. So you're sort of, you know, this is how you bring these things together. And it's sort of like an extension of that idea of what you used to do with SDK, which was like, here, what you guys are doing, because you're creating the models, you're giving them, you know, source code that they can begin to leverage and start pulling these things in. So I think it's pretty cool. So I I know we're coming to the top of the hour, but I I do have one question, which is just, I was formulating during this whole conversation, which you might or might not be able to answer, but which is the tension between speed and verification, right? Do you guys <laughs> experience this? Like, because there's always this rush. Continuous to a lot of people means faster, right? Like, we want to get our app out faster. This is features. This is a competitive market. We're a business, right? Um, but then at the same time, you know, you know, speed can be the devil, right? Like, so, uh, what's uh, do you see that tension in some of the conversations you're having with customers? I mean. You always. can say no. No, I mean, it's fine. No, you, you always see this tension, right? This. Now, yeah. it, it manifests in different ways. And I think, so sometimes it manifests like uh, team to team inside an organization where you've right. got like a security team that tends to be much more concerned about verification and a development or a platform team that cares a lot more about speed, you know, and they have to figure out some common ground to work together. So this this tension is, is common. Um, I think... If, if there's anything I've kind of observed of late, it's that it tends to now be, or with organizations that are a little more cloud-centric or cloud-savvy, it tends to be speed and then verification, whereas in the past maybe it was verification and then right. eventually right. maybe speed. Right. Um, there's some of that going on, but again, I, and it probably depends on your industry and your customer, you know, <laughs> banks and stuff. Or, or it's all about you know verification and security. Well, and that, you know. I, I think the speed is going to just get worse and worse and worse. I mean, I think, yep, I, right. I think it's just going to get more. I which mean, is the which pressure is why automating this is, is important, important because yes. if you want to stay ahead of the speed curve, you're yeah. going to have to put the time up front to make yeah. this work. I, I, I you think, don't have a choice. I, you guys I don't, I don't tell me if change, you've seen the yeah. same, but I think the sentiment I get definitely from businesses like, you know, we agree that we need controls, but they need to be unobtrusive. They can't be up front. Yep. Um, they have to be thing, and they have to be done in a way that doesn't slow us down. Exactly. Right? So. And so this kind of helps, I think, in that. But it, as you get into that process, it becomes non-intrusive. But that speed component, I mean, the pressures right now of getting into the cloud and then adopting a new technology, and like, like we're all running around about Kubernetes, right? And Hans, as an example, on our side, it, you know, there's more and more pressure to add the new technologies. So that speed is going to just continuously be there. That pressure is going to be mm-hmm. there. And yeah. DevOps is going to make shortcuts like, no, I don't want to implement this. I need to get this out. But right. if we can make that non-intrusive, and they don't understand it's there, but it just sits there and it yep. gets done that's the ideal you know yeah. kind of but to do this right? you know to 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 chase that that speed and and some of these things and to do it intentionally what do you need you need data you need actual data that you can use to make decisions which means you need 
some way of keeping track of your inputs, your your guardrails, what you put in and what you actually not what you said it was and what you thought it was, but what it actually was. Yep. You know, at a given point in time and then you need to keep track of your outputs along the way and basically say, okay, you know, this job ran at 137 and this is what happened. It gave me this error. It completed successfully. And here was the value of, of that variable at the end of it. And like, you know, like you need this data to be able to do these things well and correctly and not be guessing, right? Because as soon as you start throwing those dart board, those darts at the board. I just want to comment on Bill's comment of like quicker to the bar. I just want to, to avoid all-nighters or, or avoid the 3 a.m. calls where I have to yeah. work mm-hmm. all night trying to solve something that's happened because we didn't yeah. find what we should have found. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 we've talked about it. I think you were in a, um, Portland, right? Yeah. When uh, we're in DevOps days yeah. and we kind of brought this up and like a lot of the DevOps people were sitting there like, wait, oh. And, yeah, and, 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 and it, they realized this. Yeah, I'm spending way too much time trying to fix this. And, and all those yeah. complaints that we saw, right? So we know it's out there. We know right. that tension is out there to, re- you know, they're, they're always trying to find ways to reduce their 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 re- time they're spending after the fact, right? Yeah, I was yeah. actually surprised in Portland, and I'm sure it's true at almost all the DevOps I've been at, that uh, that it was it was really a big issue, this whole issue yep. that uh, they people are still doing tons of post-deployment yep. verifications and checks. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, we're at the top of the hour. Uh, Bill Shetty, thanks for being here. Dan Ellison as well. Uh, the blog article that uh, you can go find is on newstack.io. Correct. Just search for uh, Dan's uh, mm-hmm. Dan Ellison or Bill Shetty. Uh, you guys got that out there as well. You can also vi- visit the uh, your, your personal website, which I want to say is, what is it again? Cloudjourney.io. Cloudjourney.io. Go find uh, Bill and Dan's personal site out there. They're talking about uh, cool stuff there and uh as always great to have you guys here and uh what are you guys' twitter handles in case people want to directly connect to you yeah no i'm uh, just at shetty my last name s-h-e-t-t-i and i'm uh, at dan underscore ilson that's i-l-l-s-o-n well fantastic i know we're going to do another podcast soon so uh, we'll keep it going thanks for having me great having you guys great to see you guys